the book of Jonah. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah? Jonah set off to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. He went down to Joppa. He found a, a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid this fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh, well, Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. Then the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us, why is this calamity upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship Yahweh, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, well, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, ah, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. And then they cried out to Yahweh, uh, please, O oh Yahweh, we pray, uh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O oh Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Well, then the men feared Yahweh even more, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. But Yahweh provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to Yahweh out of my distress, and Yahweh answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. 
You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? And then the waters closed in over me, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols, they forsake their true loyalty, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to Yahweh. And then Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it puked Jonah out onto the dry land. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time, saying, Okay, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So... Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yeah, the people of Nineveh believed God. Well, they proclaimed a fast, and everybody, great and small, well, he put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, well, the king rose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, sat in the ashes, and then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. He said, by decree of the king and his nobles, no person or, or animal, um, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed. They shall not drink water. People and the animals shall be covered in sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God, and they sh we shall all turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change God's mind. God may turn from God's fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had said God would bring upon them, and God did not do it. But this, this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry, and he prayed to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh! Is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. And now, oh Yahweh, please just take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahweh said, is it right for you to be angry? And then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of that city. Yahweh God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah and give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about this bush. But when dawn came the next day, well, God appointed a worm to attack that bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a, the bush? He said, yes, angry enough to die. <laughs> and then Yahweh said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, not be, uh, and, and should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and, and also many animals. The word of God. Thanks be to God. So Jonah, Jonah isn't like any other book in the Bible. It's not historical or prophetic. It's not wisdom literature. It's like this short story about this funny little guy, a not super brave, self-absorbed, fearful, vulnerable, but in denial about his fear and vulnerability, and generous, angry little person who would rather die than face any of that honestly. I mean, a plant that was providing shade for him withers, and he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And this little book about this not very brave or generous or honest person is read every year on the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, a day of repentance, which begins this evening. This weird little book about this weird little man gets such a prominent place. What a wild and beautiful and weird thing. As far as I can tell from reading lots of Jewish commentaries about why Jonah on Yom Kippur, many rabbis say because Jonah is us. Or hopefully maybe more like there's something about Jonah that's a little like us, <laughs> but whatever. It's not an unusual way to read scripture. It reveals something about who you are 
and it reveals something about who God is. What Aviva Zornberg, the great Midrashic scholar, hones in on in her reading of Jonah is that Jonah's seemingly not capable or willing to stand and face what God asks of him or face who he is or what it is to be human standing between life and death. He flees, he runs, he gets on a boat, he wants to float, but the boat gets into this terrible storm and Jonah lies down and goes to sleep in the middle of the storm. Other people on the boat can't believe this. The captain yells at him, what is up with you, you sleeper? Get up and cry out. That's also what God asks of Jonah, get up and cry out. The boat's about to go down and he's sleeping? I think this sounds nothing like me. <laughs> I can't sleep in a comfortable bed in the dark and in the quiet. I can't sleep on a car or in a plane. I am not a sleeper. You can call me lots of things, but not that. But I guess I do lie down on the couch, though the planet is in peril, and binge watch, I don't even want to tell you what. <laughs> I do lie down and scroll a New York Times article on the case for adding turmeric to your diet. What are the symptoms of, well, it depends on the day. And then I might get up to pour myself a glass of wine, though the storms of life are raging, and go back to the couch and lie down as best as I can with a glass of wine and scroll some more, read reviews to figure out what we're gonna watch next. I guess you could call that fleeing. Maybe I am Jonah. If the captain calls, come out, call on your God. Can't you see what's happening? Sure, I could stand up and I could tell you what I believe. But it's hard to wake up and face the existential crisis we're in every morning, day after day. Jonah actually wants to be thrown over the side of the boat. It's not courage. He wants to be unconscious. He'd rather die than be awake. Aviva reads the prayer Jonah prays from the belly of the whale as a really a non-prayer. It's just another means of escape. He prays in the past tense as if he's already been saved, which is a pretty strange prayer to pray when you actually really need saving right now. But Jonah doesn't confess or entreat or despair. He doesn't ask. He doesn't pray. He recites words that he probably ripped off from a psalm. It's this empty thanksgiving instead of facing the terror of his situation. He's in the belly of a fish. As far as he knows, he is about to be digested. His prospects aren't good. Still, he's avoidant, unconscious, inattentive, pretending to be okay. 
be dead than really be alive, attending. He'd rather die than face the depths of his being, his anger or sadness or darkness or fear or his great possibility to love and forgive. He'd rather withdraw from consciousness than face his own vulnerability, his own inner landscape. I'm clear, I mean, clearly, I, I'm sure you all know, I hope you all know, I don't only lie on the couch and watch and scroll. I mean, I do stuff. But I don't think our culture particularly encourages us to pursue being awake. Jonah goes down to the literal depths of the sea into the belly of the whale and mimics praying a psalm that he learned in Hebrew school. The pagan sailors on the boat, they stand and cry. But Jonah just can't seem to cry out. It's like he's numb. He'd rather be thrown over the side of the boat than deal with all the stuff you have to deal with being human, being alive. The story is about running away. What would it be like to trust? Trust God, trust the people that love you, instead of fleeing and hiding. This is the time of year when we start spending more time inside. Maybe try not just inside the house, on the couch, but like even with a little bit of bravery, go into the depths and open your eyes, look around, be attentive rather than anesthetize. Spend time praying for real, which might just be like recognizing honestly what you need, what you desire, what you fear. Aviva says prayer is precisely the experience of lack that draws you into the vulnerable place of standing and asking. Help us. Help us live and love and be awake. Now, I don't want to say too much up here today. I just want to say a little thing, a short thing, because there's so many other beautiful words being spoken here today and such beautiful music. And uh, it's really a fine, fine occasion as we celebrate uh, our descent into darkness. Um, and there will be food later, too. So, <laughs> But I do want to say this. First of all, we're living in a post-Jonah world. I want us to all to just have that in our minds as we move through this, because I want to say this. Um, Jonah is not a young prophet when this happens. Jonah is not a new prophet when this happens. Jonah is not like some would lead you to believe uh, a fumbling, unsuccessful prophet. As a matter of fact, it is true that Jonah is a very successful prophet. This isn't Jonah's first uh, trip, uh, first uh, prophetizing uh, uh, duty. No. He's been doing it for a while, and he was good at it. He was good at it. And the way this book is spun out 
it makes him seem like somehow he's uh, didn't know what he was doing. Somehow that he uh, he changed things, but that's not the case. If you read the book, God's the one that changed things up here, not Jonah. Gods are not in the habit of sending their prophets to their enemies' people to tell them to repent. (laughs) No, the prophet goes and calls down the fire and brimstone on the enemies of their people. This is how it works between gods and their people. It's worked this way for a long, long time, forever. And so when God tells Jonah to go to their enemies, and these are bad, bad people, horrible people. When God tells them to go and tell those people to repent, Jonah being the professional, successful prophet of a man that he was, he is trying to protect God. He thinks maybe God might be off a little bit. He's not going to go he, God can't really want him to do this. So he leaves. He leaves. He figures, you know, I won't go do it. God's having a weird time. Uh, you know, I'll just like, it'll blow over, right? I'll go take a trip. It'll be fine. But it seems like God is pretty serious about this. God is worse off, I think, than, uh, than, uh, than Jonah thinks. Because God, God comes after him in the storm and the wind and the fire, everything like that. Jonah doesn't want to do this. But God seems like it's not just some temporary thing. God didn't just, God isn't having an off day. God isn't showing a little weakness. This God of the Hebrew people appears to have actually changed. This is no longer a God that's gonna just gonna smite the enemy, that's gonna protect that God's people, this God's making it bigger. This is a God who's deciding to love everyone. This is a new God that's deciding to forgive, restore, repair everyone. And he's starting out by going to the worst, evilest people possible and getting his best prophet guy on it. But maybe God's had a while to think about this because Jonah just can't get his head around it. This simple thing, go to our enemies and tell them to repent and they will be restored and they will be forgiven and they will be loved. I think this is like 7,000 years ago, something like that. We've been in this post-Jonah time, a time when we're supposed to love our enemies, 7,000-something years like that. I don't think it's... I don't think we always remember that most simple thing. For the last 7,000 years, Jesus came, that stuff's all good and everything like that. But we knew everything we're supposed to do way back from here. Love your enemies. Forgive your enemies. Those horrible haters, dark lovers, the people that you meet in your home, in your neighborhood, 
on the freaking television, all the things on, on your social media, all these horrific people, these are the people that God made for you. Love them, forgive them. This is the simple truth that God brings to us. This is a post-Jonah time. Love your enemies all the time, every time. Go look for them, find them, love them. And we go into the darkness, and we're not afraid of the darkness. When we spend this next time, as the days are shorter, and we sit in that darkness, sit there and figure out how to kindle that light how to kindle that love until we know how to make it blaze. This is a post, Jonah time. Love our enemies. That's it. Can you do it? Mm -hmm.